Arise and shine. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. That declaration, that prophetic declaration upon Jerusalem is applicable via the grace-filled, vicarious, atoning work of Jesus for us. Arise and shine. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. For your light has come and the glory of God has risen upon you. Darkness prevails upon the earth. Darkness prevails upon the nations. But the glory of God has risen upon you. Arise and shine. It's not a coincidence the, the first time that the universe hears the words of God, God's voice. It was not to say, let there be joy, peace, or even love. The voice of the sovereign, the voice of God uttered the following, Genesis 1-3, let there be light. Because God always begins by turning the lights on. Life requires light. Faith requires light. And to a great degree, metaphorically and prophetically speaking, we do live in a Genesis 1-2 moment. And darkness prevailed upon the face of the deep. Ladies and gentlemen, turn on ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, Fox News. I don't know if you get this in Alabama, but Univision, Telemundo, is that, is that a thing here? It could be. I don't know where I'm at, man. I have no idea. It's a, if you do get Univision and Telemundo, you, if you go on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we do live in dark times. We do live in dark times. Some argue that we're living in the darkest hour of all, darkened by sin, immorality, moral relativism, spiritual apathy, cultural decadence, infanticide, racism, pornography, poverty, violence, false preaching, watered-down preaching, hypocrisy, unbridled consumerism, voyeurism, materialism, secular tyranny, terror, discord, bigotry, division, strife, injustice, hatred, jealousy, and unbelief. We live in dark times. But I'm not here to give you a sermon about darkness. I'm here to tell you, whoo, that... And this is not being Pollyanna-ish or prophetic hyperbole. Let me just tell you in Jesus' name, by the authority of the Holy Spirit, when they write about this decade, they will not say that this decade was defined by the darkness of a spiritual Genesis 1-2. We will be defined by the redemptive power of Genesis 1-3, let there be lights. What does that mean? It means I am completely convinced that we are about to see the light turn on. We are about to turn the light on, and every single time light stands next to darkness, light always wins. I am, as a matter of fact, I'm believing that by, by, by the time you go home tonight, wherever there was darkness, there will be light in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5, this is what Jesus said. You, you, the rock, you, Huntsville, Alabama, you, are the light of the world. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put her under a bow. Instead, they put her on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So let me speak to you briefly in a very accelerated process here. A couple of Starbucks in impacting my life with, with the anointing and... All that coming together, it's like really interesting concoction. <laughs> Let me speak to you on the subject matter briefly. Arise and shine, be light. For when light stands next to darkness, light always wins. It begins 
This is just exegetical extrapolation and chronological of the order of the verse. Jesus begins by telling them, you are the light of the world. God always begins by telling us who we are. It's about identity. You can't live out your destiny unless you know who you are. Identity precedes destiny. We preach a lot about destiny, but we exclude the idea of identity. The reason why there's warfare on identity today in this generation is because if the enemy can somehow convince you that you have the power to fluctuate with your identity, an identity that God gave you even before you emerge out of your mother's womb, that he has inroads in preventing the fulfillment of your destiny. God always begins by telling us who we are. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Who are we? It is the quintessential query stemming from the existential womb. Who are we? We can't be light until we discover who we are. We can't be light until we repudiate every single vestige of identity moratorium. Who are we? What defines you? What makes you you? Are you defined by your past? Are you defined by your circumstances? Are you defined by what others say about you? Here's the great news from what took place on the cross. Jesus defines you. Let me make it clear. You are not defined by what surrounds you. You are defined by God's spirit inside of you. You are not defined by your circumstance. You are defined by his covenant. You are not defined by the hell you're going through. You are defined by the heaven you're going to. You are not defined by your failures. You are defined by his forgiveness. For all of my Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram brothers and sisters, you are not defined by the likes of many. Like, 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 You are not defined by the likes of many. You are defined by the love of one. And for all the religious folk in the house, get over yourself. You are not defined by what you do for God. You are defined by what God already did for you. You're defined by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're defined by the blood of Jesus and the grace of Jesus and the truth of Jesus. Are there any questions? You're defined by Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. That's what defines you. And there is an attempt. There's no hype in this. We're in the midst of these conversations as we speak. There is an attempt right now by certain segments of culture society, an attempt to tell us as the ecclesia, the collective, the bride, who we are. Let me again, let me rephrase this. There is an attempt by external forces to define us. There is an attempt by external forces to tell us who we are. And these forces, and it's not high, but I'm not creating a dichotomy for the purpose of elevating one thing over the other. It's just a matter of truth-telling. There is an objective where these forces would love us to become an echo chamber of mutual affirmation that gathers on Sunday morning as long as we don't impact culture or society Monday through Saturday. There's an attempt to define us, so we need to know who we are. Who are we as Christ followers? Who are we as this church? Are we just another institution in society? Are we another religious faith narrative competing in the marketplace of ideas? Are we a feel-good apparatus for the spiritually impaired? Are we an antiquated conduit for a set of irrelevant values no longer applicable in the world of Netflix?
how this generation responds will determine whether once again light overcomes darkness. So who are we? Man, it's time to really do this. The church needs to rise up with love, but truth and love. We need to rise up. And we have to stop, not that we're doing this in Huntsville, Alabama, but we have to stop playing this whole politically correct Christianity, don't want to impact society role. This whole thing that we're always backing up and backing up and we don't want to offend, we don't want to bother. We don't. Ladies and gentlemen, we got to stop being in a fetal position and we got to rise up like who we are, man. Who are we? We got to respond with love, but with clarity and conviction. We just got to man, man, I can't say man up anymore. It's politically incorrupt. So we, we have to man up, woman up, whatever. We have to just, and we have to let them know. Let me, who, you're asking me, who are we? Let me tell you who we are. We are the light of the world. We are a city on a hill. We are people of the word. We are salt and we are light. We are prophetic and not pathetic. We are disciples, witnesses, and Christ followers. We are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We are children of the cross, fruit of the empty tomb, and product of the upper room. We are the redeemed of the Lord, the sheep of his pasture. We are forgiven, free, and favored. We are called and chosen. We are warriors and worshipers. We are the righteousness of God. We are world changers, and we are history makers. So let me, that's who we are. That's who we are. We are the church. We are the bride. We are the answer to this broken world. Let me tell you who we're not. Are we streaming? No, it doesn't matter anymore. We're in Alabama, baby. <laughs> Woo! Dorothy, we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> Let me tell you what we're not. We're not Google. We're not Microsoft. We're not Apple. And this breaks my heart. We're not even Starbucks. We, ladies and gentlemen, are the church of the risen Christ. Which means what? The gates of hell shall not the gates of hell will not, may not, cannot, no way, no hell prevail against us. We are the bride of Jesus. If you are part of that bride, shout like you know who you are. We are the church. We are the answer to this broken world. We have to rise up and turn on the light. Be who you are in Christ. And don't drink the fragmentation Kool-Aid. Which means what? You are not first and foremost black, white, yellow, or brown, Hispanic, charismatic, or automatic. When you wake up in the morning... Your number one identifying moniker and descriptor is you are above all a born-again, blood-washed, spirit-empowered, devil-rebuking, demon-binding child of the living God. Be light by who you are. Always remembering that God does not call the perfect. He calls the willing. He doesn't call the one that has it all. He calls upon those that are willing to surrender it all. 
Because every single time light stands next to darkness, light always wins. Quickly here, just in chronological order. Be light by removing the obstacles. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and hide it. If you have it, you don't hide it, you let it shine. Our challenge is to remove the bow of apathy, complacency, acquiescence, and fear. And once again lay claim to the stand of righteousness so that we may shine before all men. So we can't be light until we embrace the following. Ooh, today's complacency is tomorrow's captivity. There is no such animal as comfortable Christianity. We are what we tolerate. There are things that we've tolerated that we have the anointing and the authority to rebuke. Truth. Truth. And truth is under assault. The three most endangered species in America, preachers, scientists, and comedians. Truth must never be sacrificed on the altar of political expediency. And, and while, while I get some criticism and they say, Pastor Sam, your idea that we're, that we're going to turn on the light and, and light overcome, that's great and that's like cute and all, but things are getting darker. Jesus is coming, so things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. So you're basically wasting your time telling people to be light because things are going to get darker. Ladies and gentlemen, while we are waiting for Jesus to come down, Jesus is waiting for his church to stand up. There is a battle. There is a battle to turn off the light. It's a spiritual battle. It's a daily battle. It could be a mental battle. There is a battle to turn off the light. It is a battle. And by the way, it's not primarily between the left and the right. It's between the high and the low. It's not between donkeys and elephants. The primary battle in America is between the lamb and the serpent. That's the real battle. Ephesians 6, 12, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits, even in the heavenly places. What does this mean? Believe it or not, man, and I'm an evangelical Trekkie. What does that mean? I'm a math nerd. My parents are not preachers. I'm originally from Pennsylvania, went to Penn State, graduated from Lehigh University. My mind is linear, sequential, mathematically inclined. I still believe to this day that calculus is the language of God. So if you don't like algebra and calculus, repent and repent in the name of Jesus. So even though I preach like Kirk, I think like Spock. And, 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 and so, but I've seen it. I've lived it. There is a spiritual battle out there. There are real spirits alive in the world today. The spirit of Jezebel still lives. Prompting men and women who carry a mantle. To hide in the cave of discouragement, fear, anxiety, and confusion. The spirit of Absalom still lives. Dividing homes, churches, communities, and relationships. The spirit of Nebuchadnezzar still lives. Demanding that a generation that carries favor, even in the midst of Babylonian captivity, bow to the lies of a false narrative that negates grace, truth, and love. The spirit of Herod still lives. Killing the young in the womb. And in the streets, murdering precious dreams and visions. But ladies and gentlemen, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. There is a spirit more powerful than all these spirits combined. 
I'm here to declare to you today that the most powerful spirit alive in Huntsville, Alabama, the most powerful spirit alive in America today, I even have the audacity through Christ to declare that the most powerful spirit in Latin America, the most powerful spirit in Europe, in Asia, Eurasia, this is going to sound awkward to you. What if I tell you that the most powerful spirit in Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, what have I tell you the most powerful spirit in every single nation of the world is not those it's not Jezebel it's not Nebuchadnezzar it's not Ahab Baal it's not Herod or Goliath or Absalom the most powerful spirit alive today is still the Holy Spirit of all mighty God if you believe that praise like you have that spirit Shout like you have that spirit. Worship like you have that spirit. The comforter, the pneuma, the ruach, the paraclete. And where that spirit is present, there is power. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. There is freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17. It is not by might nor by power, but by mine. Zechariah 4.6. So what does that mean? It means don't drink the Kool-Aid. It doesn't matter what emerges in every respective generation. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, the Spirit of God will ignite his children to rise up. And light will always overcome darkness. Am I certain of that? Absolutely. What does that mean? It means to every narrative and spirit that facilitates the platforms for moral relativism, spiritual apathy, cultural decadence, and ecclesiastical lukewarmness. Oh, God's going to bring a light. For every Pharaoh, there must be a Moses. For every Goliath, there must be a David. For every Nebuchadnezzar, there must be a Daniel. For every Jezebel, there must be an Elijah. For every Herod, there must be a Jesus. And for every devil that rises up against you, there is a mightier God that will rise up for you. So remove it, man. Whatever is trying to turn off your light, remove it. Shake it off. And whatever you can't shake off, Jesus washes off. Because we've all been through journeys. We've all been through battles. If you've been through spiritual battles in the past decade, raise one hand. Heck, if you've been through a spiritual battle already this year, raise both hands. So we've all been through battles. We, all of us have been, all of us, there's an attempt. All of us have experienced a moment where something tried to turn off the light. All of us. But why are we here? Let me tell you why you're here. You are here. Not because you perfectly held on to God. You are here because God perfectly held on to you. You are here because what God has placed inside of you is greater than anything hell can place in front of you. You are here because you learned the adage that if when life throws you rocks, you build an altar. First John 2.8, I'm writing you a new command. This truth is seen in him and you. Darkness is passing. The true light is already shining. And when light stands next to darkness, light always wins. Let me, let me land this quickly here. Be light by where you stand. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. The stand represents the facilitative platform on which we shine the light of Christ. Where do we stand? We stand on the undeniable and unshakable reality that Christ is the hope of glory. We stand on righteousness and justice, Psalm 89, 14. The foundation of your throne, unfailing love and truth, walk before you as attendants. We stand on a cross that is both vertical and horizontal. Vertical and horizontal. Not just vertical, not just horizontal, 
The cross is both vertical and horizontal, connected to God and connected to each other. We stand on a cross that is both heaven and earth, righteousness and justice, sanctification and service, holiness and humility, truth and love, conviction and compassion, the prophetic with the practical, orthodoxy and orthopraxy, John 3.16 and Matthew 25, the new Jerusalem and Huntsville, Alabama. We stand on the name that is above every other name. Let me give, let me give you a story. When I was 14 years of age in an Assembly of God church in Allentown, Pennsylvania, I'm from Bethlehem, it's just the same area, same metroplex there. And I was four, my parents are not preachers again, but, but brought me up in a wonderful way, best parents on the planet in this great evangelical spirit and power church, Latino church, so it was really quiet and introverted. And <laughs> <laughs> you do have this sermon. Okay, so, um, so. 14 years of age, right? So I grew up, but again, because of my, like, math mind and science, like, I doubt it, like, 99% of the stuff, because I thought it was hype, I thought it was made up, like, it was mass hysteria, the whole Freudian sort of definition of the collective hysteria of the moment, whatever. So I'm thinking, this is just like, you know, whatever, it's just not, eh. 14 years old, this guy comes up from Teen Challenge, never met the guy before, he was a choir director of a camp, Reedersburg, Pennsylvania, David Wilkerson's uh, ministry, in, you know, next to Lancaster out there in Pennsylvania, but he was Pennsylvania. So he comes up, never met the guy before, first time in our church, and he's with the choir, he stops midstream in a song, midstream, and says, I have a word, I have a word, I have a word for a, for a Samuel, but it's a young Samuel, a young Samuel. The church, there's the two Samuels in church, my dad and me. So the church, the, the church being really introverted and very careful of my security and my privacy. <laughs> this is the way they responded. Ahí está el muchacho, ya se sentado. Oh, you don't know Spanish. Let me interpret. Ahí está el muchacho, ahí sentado. Which meant he's right there. Dude, I'm like going like, oh my I'm thinking if this rapture stuff that the pastor preaches is for real, let that happen right here, right now, right? <laughs> when you're 14 and somebody comes and says, here's what the Lord is telling you. And when, you, when God begins to tell you, you're going to end up praying for presidents. 14. There was a girl in the crowd seated right about there. There was a girl in that crowd who saw that happen. A little bit older than me, just by a bit. And she saw that happen. That girl said, boy, if that word is real, I'm going to marry that boy. I'm going to marry that boy. That's my wife of 30 years, man. That's my. Lesson learned. If God gives, if you're single and God gives, forget about that right now. That's not his. So with that being said, this is all, what does that have to do with where you stand? You go, get this. I'm going to get there in a second. So all of a sudden, back in, in 2008, by the grace of God, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, I know it's all God. You never knocked on the door, never asked to get in. President Bush invited me in as an advisor. And, I'm, and, and this is back in the early 2000s. I'm going, Lord, how did I get here? I had steak dinner one time with Carl Rove, and, and we're having dinner. And, and I looked at Carl. I go, Carl, how in the world did you first engage me? He said, Sam, one day on my desk, your cell number showed up on a, on a piece of paper. And I have no idea to this day who put it there. Look what the Lord has done. When President Obama, when he first got inaugurated in 2008, they invited me to, to pray at St. John's Episcopal Church with Rick Warren and Yolanda Adams and Charles Blake. So I participated in that service. But then 
something happened this election, and, and I'm not doing the politics. I'm just telling you about the, where we stand, where we stand. So this election comes around, and, and you know, my, I'm, I'm eating at a Puerto Rican restaurant in San Francisco. Uh, did, we, did I take you there? Do you like it? What did, we, what did you have? What did you have? Did you remember? <laughs> did you? Because I'm going to go back. I haven't had it in a while. I'm going to go back. And Mofongo con Camarones Criollo is delicious stuff, man. That, that's right. I'm sorry. We just sidetracked here. I am so, I'm so sorry. So, so we, went, we went to this. So my wife and I are coming from that restaurant, San Rafael. We're driving. And I get this call. And, it's, and you get this call, Bluetooth in the car. We're driving. And we get this call. And, and, and boom. Okay. All right. A no number. <laughs> Beware of those. And so we pick up the call. Reverend Rodriguez, yes, sir. We're calling you from the President's Transition Team and the Senate Inaugural Committee. How may I help you, sir? Reverend Rodriguez, the President-elect would like you to participate in his inauguration. Now I'm going to my wife like, is this my, my, is this my cousin Paco from Jersey? <laughs> is it Paco? Come on, stop fooling around, bro. You, you get arrested for that, man. What are you doing? Is that Paco? Say, sir, that, I'm, I am calling you from the Senate Inaugural Committee. And I'm, and I'm looking at my wife going like, like this, by making faces. You know, I'm going, I go, sir? And he goes, yes, sir. The president-elect would like you to participate in his inauguration. And, I, and I, this is my response. This is, wow, I am honored. I'm, I'm, I'm humbled. What would you like me to do, sir? The president would like you to participate in the inauguration. <laughs> I go, yeah, I, I get that, sir. To, to what degree, at what level? He would like you to participate the day of the inauguration. I go, no, no, I get that, sir. Forgive me. I'm from California. So what does that mean? He goes, sir, pray, read scripture at your discretion. And I go, like, where? He goes, in the inauguration. I go, yeah, but like the preliminaries, the po like what, like, because I, I, you know, I've been there before. And he goes, no, no, on the main stage in front of 1.1 billion people around the world. I go, aha, the inauguration, you mean. <laughs> he goes, so what say you, Samuel? And I go, true story. My wife is right there. And I go, sir, can you please tell the president-elect that I'm humbled, I'm honored. I need some time to pray about it. <laughs> so help me. This is the awkward silence on the other line. You want time to pray about it? I go, yes, sir. How much time do you need? My, I'm looking at my wife. She's, getting, she's giving me no response. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking for help. Nothing. She abandoned me. <laughs> right? Like she completely just... Abandoned me. So I, out of me, I went, two weeks? He went, you want me to call you back in two weeks? I go, do you mind, sir? And he goes, well, I guess I'll call you back in two weeks. I go, thank you, sir. He goes, thank you? <laughs> Boom, Bluetooth off. I'm looking at my wife. Reason. I pastor a church in California, five campuses, Los Angeles, Sacramento, and it's 40% white, which is code word for Caucasian. 40% black, code word for African American, 20% confused. My church is really multi-ethnic. It is. I'm thinking, if I'm being practical, being completely transparent, 
I'm thinking if I do this, I'm going to lose a percentage of my church. Even though I was there for three presidents, both Republicans and Democrats, the country's so divided that if I do this, I'm, gonna, I'm thinking, who am I going to lay off? Right? So I'm looking at my wife, and, and I'm going, all right, honey, call the intercessors. Let's call our elders. I want them praying and fasting. I have two weeks to hear from heaven. And this is her response. She's right there. And this is her response. And I go, I need you to call Elder Carla, please. And this is her response. I go, you're not calling anyone. And then she goes like this. I go, you don't want to call Elder Carla? She goes, I can't believe you. I go, should I ask for three? <laughs> she went, are you kidding me? I go, I'm not kidding you. I thought you would, this is a, a, this is a moment. I mean, what? She goes, are you serious? I go, serious about what? She goes, are you kidding me? I go, kidding what? She goes, you're asking to pray for, I was there. When you were 14 years of age and God said you were going to end up praying for presidents. What are you looking for confirmation when God already gave you a word that this was your destiny? There's nothing for you to pray about other than what is God going to tell you to share with the world? That woman straight up slapped me. Metaphorically speaking now. So two weeks came by, and then I'm going to land this. Two weeks came by and got the call back. Remember Rodriguez? And he was a little bit on, on the feisty side. I, I don't, not to blame. Remember Rodriguez, have you made up your mind? So I go, sir, yes, I'm doing this. Can you help me out? We have my questions again. When do I have to submit my script for approval? What script? My, whatever I'm going to share, are, are you going to censor it? No. If I give you something that's biblically substantiated and based, will you remove? No. Will you tell me what I can say and can? No. Are you going to let no? Finally, after the fourth no, he stopped me and said, stop. Reverend, with great respect, with great due deference, he says, the reason we're inviting you is because we want you to share whatever the Spirit tells you to share. <laughs> Dorothy, we're not in Kansas anymore. So, here it is. It's the day of the inauguration. This is about where we stand. Be light by where we stand. It's the day of the inauguration. I'm seated way back here. So the Clintons are there. The Obamas are there. The Trumps are there. I was hiding behind the bushes. <laughs> so help me true story. Literally right behind the bushes. I was hiding me. Okay. So I was right there behind the bushes. And I'm right there, and, 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 and we, were, we were sequestered for hours, so we barely slept by, by the Secret Service. So I was tired. The, all of us, I'm on my phone because it said behind every seat, no cell phones. But the Supreme Court was on their phones and disobeyed. I said, if they can do it. <laughs> True story. So I'm here in the corner, and, and I get this text from my daughter, Lauren. Never disrespectful ever in her life with me. I get this text. Dad, comma. Shut your mouth. I go, text back going, I'm about to go up and pray. I go, pardon me? She goes, no, Dad, you're on Fox News. Your mouth is wide open right now. I need you to shut your mouth right now. I guess I was dozing off. Just like the impeachment hearing. So I'm, so I'm in here like, so, different moment. So, finally, the moment came and... I, I come up, it's my turn. I approach the podium, 
1.1 billion people, what did I share with them? Exactly what I shared with you right here as it pertains to the passage of Scripture. What I just shared with you, Matthew chapter 5. Then I looked at the cameras and I said something that wasn't said there for 11 years. Two days prior to me being on that podium, a reporter from a very famous magazine whose name you will recognize looked at me and said, she said, Sam, because she knows me, she said, Sam, please tell me you're not going to mention that name. I go, what? She goes, please, first of all, you shouldn't be doing this. Because people like you from both sides of the aisle. And if you do this, it's going to be very controversial. You're going to alienate people. I go, I'm not doing this for any political reason. I'm doing this because I'm a preacher. And God gave me an opportunity to, and she goes, yeah, yeah, I get that, but people won't get that. You're going to lose people. You're going to lose doors. You're going to lose contracts. She goes, but by the way, please tell me if you are going to do it, you're not going to mention that name. I go, the name? She goes, you know the name. Like that, you know the name. And I go, she can't even say the name. And I go, are you kidding me? She goes, if you mention that name, you're alienating every American that does not believe in that name. Please tell me you're going to go generic and do the right thing. And I'm looking at her and going like, just watch. That's it. I thought I could respond. Watch. So that day I approached the stand. Podium, 1.1 billion people. The presidents are behind me. We go straight. Looked at the cameras. Holy Spirit filled me. I finished Matthew 5 and I looked in the cameras and I said and I make this prayer and I make this declaration this biblical declaration about being light and I said respectfully in the name for 11 years it wasn't mentioned from that stage there was an attempt to censor and quelch it because the name supposedly is controversial in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, amen, and amen, and amen, and amen. I want you to YouTube it. The president said amen. Members of Congress said amen. The crowd said amen. They were watching all over the world on the BBC and CNN. The entire world was watching Jesus. And people were texting me, you said Jesus. Why did people respond that way? Ladies and gentlemen, listen carefully. There is still power in the name of Jesus. We don't stand on any name. We stand on the name that is above every other name. The name to which every knee shall bow and every tongue shall come. If you believe there is still power in that name, shout like you know. We stand on that name. Stand with me. You are standing. Cameraman. Cameraman. Give me a tight shot. Your tightest shot. Is that your tightest shot? Give me your tightest. Is that it? Yeah. With love, this world is broken. There's darkness. There's generational darkness. We can't be silent about that name. We stand on that name. This is politically incorrect, but it's worthy of declaring. We stand on John 14, 6. What does that mean? There are not five ways to heaven. Four ways to heaven, three ways to heaven, two ways. There's only one way to be saved. 
There's only one way to be forgiven of all your sins. One way to be delivered from bondage in your past. One way to be transformed. One way to be born again. And that way is Jesus Christ. And there is no other name. There is no other way. Somebody in Alabama, give Jesus your best shout of praise. Exalt the name. Proclaim the name. Shout out the name. fulfill the great commission rise up and make disciples rise up and cast out devils rise up and heal the sick rise up and quench the thirsty feed the hungry welcome the stranger rise up rise up in that name rise up lift up your hands we stand on that name we stand on that name the name of the Lord is a strong tower the righteous run into it and there they are saved. No other name given unto man through by which salvation is coming to all mankind. But the name of Jesus. We stand on that name. That name, that name, we exalt that name. We proclaim that name. We live out that name. We stand on the name, we stand on the authority. We stand on the testimony. We stand on the death and the resurrection. Jesus, Jesus. I sense God. The name. Because every single time light stands next to darkness, light always wins. Let me declare prophetically that this decade the name of Christ will be exalted. Like, what if, this is going to sound awkward. What if I tell you the name of Jesus will be exalted this decade like no other decade before in human history? How about this? You may want to take this to the bank at your discretion. Here it comes. There's, there's a revival and awakening coming to America that's going to make a Sousa look like an opening act. What if I tell you God? What if I tell you God's about to pour out His Holy Spirit upon this nation once again and we are about to see an experience, an awakening where Christ is exalted with signs and wonders and healings and miracles and deeds. Something awesome is coming our way. As you stand with me. Be light by what you do in the same way. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus changed the world. I sense the Holy Spirit because of who he was, what he said, and what he did. His character, his rhetoric, and his actions. Let us do likewise. Ephesians 5.8. You were once darkness. Not in darkness. The Apostle Paul writing, filled with the Holy Spirit. But you were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. We magnify the light when we realize that a divided church will never heal a broken nation, but a united church can change the world. We, sh we shine when we understand that Christianity is less about promoting the perfect and more about blessing the broken. <sighs> With great due deference, 
we will really shine the light when we realize that Uncle Sam may be our uncle, but he will never be our Heavenly Father. He's just an uncle. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power, 1 Corinthians 4.20. It takes conviction to repent, courage to speak truth, holiness to seek God, faith to move mountains, and love to change the world. I wrote something here the Holy Spirit gave me when we were there in worship. As we turn on the light, I want you to hear me. Your children will not inherit your sins. Your children will inherit your blessings. Let me, let me declare prophetically, your children will never live in what God took you out of. Your children will be children of the light. If you believe that, praise like you believe it. Shout like you believe it. Worship like you believe it. We're a greatest light in this spectrum is the convergence of all the colors coming together. Do your due diligence, be it Google or Wikipedia. When all the colors of the spectrum come together, it's the brightest light. You missed it. That's why I love this church, man. I look around, I see all the colors of the spectrum. Oh, you missed it. You, you get it. You get it. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no such thing as a white church or a black church or a brown church or a yellow church. There's only one church, the church of Jesus Christ. And when we come together, we shine. So get ready to shine. If you're ready to shine this decade and turn on the light, like never before, raise one hand. If you're ready to stop focusing on the darkness, Instead of channeling your energies, focusing on darkness, you're going to channel all of your energy to making sure the light is turned on. Lift up both hands. If you believe with me that every vestige of darkness will flee, as dark, ha, even by the time you get home, wherever there was darkness, there will be light in all of your family, in all of your circumstances. And, and, and if you're here for the first time and you're going, why are these people so animated? And why are these people so passionate in their worship? And why is this preacher man yelling? And it's not just because I'm wired. It could be, but that's not the only reason. I'm going to tell you why. Seriously speaking, I discovered as a light guy, I discovered that the size of our praise is directly proportional to the magnitude of the hell that God took you out of. Let me repeat that. The size of your praise is directly proportional to the magnitude of the hell that God took you out of. If he took you out of a little hell, then you give him a little praise. But if he saved you, if he delivered you, if he healed you, if he turned you around and set your feet on solid ground, then you give God your highest. Are there any worshipers in the Samuel 3.3 says, the lamp of God has not gone out yet. So be light, Huntsville, Alabama. 
Be light and walk like Enoch. Be light and believe like Abraham. Be light and dress like Joseph. Be light and dream like Jacob. Be light and stretch like Moses. Be light and shout like Joshua. Be light and dance like David. Be light and fight like Gideon. Be light and lead like Deborah. Be light and pray like Daniel. Be light and build like Nehemiah. Be light and preach like Peter. Be light and serve like Stephen. Be light and live like Jesus. Be light and change the world.